Good morning, Westside. My name is Isaac Odame. I've been a member of this family for a number of years, and uh, I'm, I'm happy that I've been given the opportunity to share what is on my heart with you today. And I hope this will be a good time together. We are celebrating Easter in a month that is unprecedented in our lives. At the moment, we are in lockdown. And all around us, it's not good news. We can't go where we want to go to. We hear news of death, of illness, of sickness. Our ICUs in Ontario are filled up. Our care providers are stressed, overstretched. Our political leaders are at their wit's end. There's frustration. Businesses are closing down. People are losing their jobs. And it doesn't seem like the story of the resurrection amidst this pandemic is real. But you know, in many ways, that was what was prevailing the very first Easter. The disciples have been disillusioned. The Messiah who they thought was coming to free Israel and bring, that, bring back the kingdom to Israel had been arrested, had been given over to the, to the Romans, had been crucified. Their dreams were shattered. Their expectations were up in the air. And they were gripped with fear. Even Peter, when challenged by a little girl, could not voice his loyalty to his master. They were gripped with fear. On that Saturday, after he was crucified, they were behind closed doors in fear of the Jews. Then on Sunday, the women come with stories that Jesus is risen. It took them a while to believe it. Forgetting that actually he had told them about all these events before they happened. But Jesus revealed himself to them for many, many days after his resurrection. And we are told in Acts 1 that after he had been with them and had had a meal with them, in fact, last week, Matt Vincent told us a story about the walk to Emmaus and expounded what it means to be invited to the table. So at this scene, Jesus is again at the table with them. And he tells them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise that I gave to you, that the Father is going to give to you. You were baptized with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This was about 40 days after his resurrection, when he had revealed himself to many of the disciples. They saw his resurrected body. They were filled with joy. Their fear had been turned into joy. Their sorrow and pain had been turned into joy and hope again. But at the same time, they were still fixated on Jesus restoring the kingdom to Israel. So in Acts 1, we are told, they asked him, and they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? 
So even seeing the resurrected Christ, they hadn't as yet grasped what kind of kingdom Christ was bringing. They were still fixated on the kingdom of Israel, Jesus restoring their freedom and giving them the kingdom. But he was talking about the kingdom of God, and they were not yet with him on this. They hadn't as yet grasped what Jesus was talking about. So they waited, and on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after the Passover, when Christ died, 50 days later, we are told that there was a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And the disciples started speaking in languages that they had not learned. And all the people marveled and, and said, what is this? What is this miracle that is occurring before our eyes? And now Peter, the man who denied Christ, the man who was so disillusioned before, gathered the boldness and the fearlessness to speak to the people. And this is what he said. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what will happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Now, the question is, where does this boldness come from? What had changed? You might say, yes, Christ had resurrected and they had seen Christ. But I will say that it was when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit that Peter received that kind of power and that boldness to declare the message, telling them to their faces that they killed Jesus Christ, but God raised him from the dead because Death could not hold him in its grips. You know, the story of the resurrection in this year, 2021, seems something different because we are in pain, we are in anxiety, we are in fear. We, we, we don't know where the future holds. We don't know what is going to happen three months from now, four months from now even a year from now. And it seems that the story of the resurrection and all that comes with it is not in alignment with our experience at this moment. But Paul, who also met Jesus face to face and saw the resurrected body of Jesus Christ and Christ revealed himself to him, wrote a letter to the Ephesians and I want us to look into that this morning as we ponder over Easter and what it means to us in this present, present day, in our present experiences of disappointment, of pain, of distress, of anxiety, of depression, and of hopelessness. I read from Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience, and your many sins. 
You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in your hearts, of, in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. In other words, those of us who call ourselves Christians are no different from all others in the world. The truth is that sin has held us all captive. Sin has taken humanity captive, and we all deserve God's anger. So Paul is reminding them where they have come from, that they were not good people. They were people who were breaking God's law every day. They were doing things that were not in alignment with God's will. The sinful nature had taken control. And as he puts it, we follow the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That sinful nature is universal. And no matter who we are, no matter what we say, sin holds us captive without Christ. So humanity is captive to sin. And as a result, God's anger is upon all of us. And that's what Paul is reminding them at this point. Then he moves on with a contrast. But, and that word but, suggests that despite the gloom of the universality of sin, of the fact that we are captive to sin, we can't free ourselves. It's, it, despite all our willpower and our good intentions, we can never please God completely because sin has taken us all captive. Sin has become our enemy. But, reading from verse 4 onwards, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. But God, who is rich in mercy and unfailing love, the mercy and the love of God is what makes all the difference. We were in captivity, unable to free ourselves. And God comes into our world and shows us mercy by giving his one and only son. And through that mercy, he unites us with Christ, which is what the next point we are going to go into. Mercy and love is the only reason you and I can call ourselves children of God. It's not by our own efforts, because if it was left to that, none of us would be able to make it, because sin has taken humanity captive. 
God is rich and mercy. And what he has done is that he's united us with Christ in Christ's death. So this is the real truth. When Christ died, we who are called to become Christians are united with him in his death. And through that death, that death, the penalty of our sin is completely paid for. So we are united with Christ in his death because through his death, he paid the penalty for our sin once and for all, fully paid for. Our sins are no longer counted against us. And this is because of the rich mercy and the unfailing love of God. Not only are we united with him in his death, we are united with him in his resurrection, as he says in verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So if you call yourself a child of God, the truth about you is that you are united with Christ in his death and you are united with Christ in his resurrection. That means that for you, death is conquered because Christ was raised from the dead, triumphing over death. That means we are alive in Christ because he has conquered death for us. So note, the two greatest enemies that we face as humanity is sin and death. By being united with Christ, our sin is, the, the penalty of our sin is paid for. The sin is canceled. The, the, the penalty of it is removed. And that is our victory over sin. Second is death. Because Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, he has conquered death for us, which means that we are alive in him. And all this is because of the incredible wealth of his grace. And this grace has replaced the law. The law is what gives sin its power. And by receiving the grace of God, that incredible wealth of his grace... He removes that power that sin has over us because we are no longer under grace. Thank God we are now under grace. And it is that incredible worth of his grace. Reading on, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Absolutely a gift from God. We were helpless. We couldn't save ourselves. And he showed us his grace when we believed. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Exactly what he's trying to tell us is that God took the initiative he gave us the gift of Christ. Christ died for our sins. He was raised to overcome death for us. And now we have become children of God, united with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms. God did it all. There was none of it that we did. 
and we cannot take credit for any of this. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Rather, it is the free gift that God gives to us. So if at this time you feel so inadequate, you feel that things are out of control, our government says one thing today, within a week it changes because they themselves have no handle of the COVID situation. Just a year ago, we, we, we had very little knowledge about this virus. And every day, every week, new revelation comes about the virus as we gather more and more data. And so if you are wondering why the authorities cannot make up their mind, it is because we don't know enough about it. And as new data comes, we shift our knowledge and our understanding. What is right today will not be right in a week's time. And everyone is frustrated. When can we have our lives back? Things seem out of control. But that is exactly what sin has done to humanity. Humanity has lost complete control over sin because sin has taken us captive. But God, who is rich in mercy and unfailing love, gave us Christ Jesus. We became united with him in his death. And by that, the penalty of our sin has been fully paid for. And we are united with him when God raised him from the dead on the third day, meaning that we have victory over death. Our two greatest enemies, sin and death, are conquered in Christ Jesus. And it is the grace of God that has done all this. Verse 8 to 10 tells us about this grace of God. Honing down on verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Other translations say we are God's workmanship. But the word masterpiece actually brings the meaning better. It's like an artist who paints a real masterpiece out of, out of their genius, out of their, their skills, they, they create a masterpiece. And that's exactly the way Paul describes us, that we have become God's masterpiece, not because of any efforts of our own, but that is what God has made us through Christ Jesus, because we are united with him. Church, the truth is that who we really are is not dependent on anything we can do for ourselves. Who we truly are is determined by what Christ has done for us. So if things seem out of control because you have no power over it, you are in distress and in anxiety, there's sorrow, there's pain, you've lost a loved one, remember that Christ is there, unchangeable, victorious over sin and death, and who you are in him cannot be changed by your circumstances. Not at all. Our victory is that our circumstances cannot touch us because who we are 
is through what Christ has done for us. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, we are united with him and seated with him in heavenly realms, having dominion over the world. We are his masterpiece to do good works, to do good things, to glorify his name. And this is what he has planned for us to do. So what is God's plan, you may ask? What is God's plan for me as an individual, as a church? What has God planned for us to do? And Paul refers to this in his the earlier chapter, Ephesians 1 verse 9, and I'll read on. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. You know, God created heaven and earth for a purpose. But sin came and seemed to have ruined the plan, seemed to have destroyed the plan that God has. But what pl the plan God has through his, the redemptive work of Christ is to restore the earth and the heaven, restore things, make things right, turn what is evil, what is destroyed, make it right again under the authority and headship of Christ. So he says, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. When Jesus started his ministry, he says, the kingdom of God is here. When he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his plan is that he will restore this broken earth, this broken world, the evil that destroys. The big question that a lot of people ask, why is there evil in the world? Why does it seem like evil trans over good? Why is it that we seem, we seem to, be, to, be, to have lost control over evil? Is God not alive? Is God not in control? But that's exactly his plan. Before the creation of the world, this plan was established. And this plan is to restore everything. So his plan for us is to do good things. And we are part of God's restoration work to make every wrong right. So here is my challenge for you. Things seem out of control. Sometimes we think we are failures. We can't see this, the glory of the resurrection in our daily lives. And we wonder, is, is it real? Is it not? But this is the truth, that you are God's masterpiece to do good things. So think of small good things you can do. It means that in your home, you can do good things to make wrongs right. It starts with our daily lives individually at home, in your workplace, when everybody else is distraught, when there's hopelessness, can you say a word of encouragement 
that brings good into what is wrong or what is evil or what is dark. Shed some light. Matthew, in the gospel, Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Wherever we are around, we dispel darkness because we are doing good. We have become God's masterpiece. And as you do little, little things, you are now in a position to be a change agent wherever you are, in your family, whether close family or extended family, among your friends, in your business, in your workplace, wherever you are, we are God's masterpiece, and his plan for us is for us to do good things. The good things do not save us because we cannot be saved because we do good things, but we have been saved as God's masterpiece to show his goodness, to show his kindness, to show his life, to show his mercy. And that's why Westside has been involved in the food drive. We've been involved with food for kids. We're showing that we care for our community. We are being involved in our environment. We are helping people uh, do groceries for people, are helping people in their need, people who need to uh, go to collect their medications. We can help them do that. These are all acts of mercy and goodness that we can do even if we are facing a lot of distress and anxiety and a lot of hardships at this time. And Paul prays for the efficient Christians. And in his prayer, he says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So perhaps one of the things we need to do to be able to ignite this power in us, this, this masterpiece work God has done in us, to show it forth in our world, is that we, we, we need wisdom to know God better, to get to know him and understand what he has done for us in the spiritual realm. Secondly, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called and the rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his holy people. God has promised us eternal life. He has done it all. He did it through Christ. He paid for our sins. He's conquered death. His spirit lives within us. He's given us an inheritance that goes beyond the reach of change or decay. That will never fade away. And the Holy Spirit lives within you. Paul describes it as that is the guarantee. That's the seal God has put upon you, identifying you as his. That he will never abandon you. That you are his forever. Not because you are a good person in yourself, but because you have accepted that free gift he has given. You are united with Christ in Christ's death. You are united with Christ in his resurrection. And now you are alive in him and you are blessed with this glorious inheritance and hope that is confident and unchangeable that nothing in this world can change or destroy. He moves on. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power 
for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand and in the heavenly realms. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Did you get that? He said that incredible power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead because death could not hold him in his grips, that same power is at work in you. It is, it is incredible that we, sometimes we think we are, that we, we fall so easily, we get entangled with sin. We are not able to respond to the, to the needs around us. We think we are weakened. We are not able to do what we want to do. Perhaps you've got to begin first by realizing that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. It's not because you are good. It's not because you are strong. You are weak. You are still sometimes falling to your sinful nature. But it's a truth that you ought to accept and believe. And when you accept and believe it, and, and let the Spirit of God really work through you, you realize that we have incredible power to change our world. We have incredible power to change our circumstances. We have incredible power to impact people in our lives, to show them love, to show them mercy and forgiveness, to do good things around us because we are God, God's masterpiece to do good things in this world. And in doing so, we are becoming part of his eternal plan to restore everything in both earth and heaven. That the world he created, that perfect world, will be restored again. That is his plan. And you are part of this plan. You are part of his church, which is the body of Christ. And it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So the truth about us doesn't seem to align with our, what we feel in our daily experiences. And that is why we need to really exercise certain disciplines, study the Word, understand what God is telling us in His Word, know Him better, that our, our hearts will be flooded with light, that we may know the confident hope we have been called to, not the hope we see in this world. This world doesn't seem to offer us that hope. That hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. So celebrations are good things. It's good to celebrate. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate Christmas every year. We celebrate Easter every year. But don't you realize that after we've celebrated it, we then go back to normal. We go back until the next year we celebrate again. When it comes to Easter, we, we celebrate at Easter. We are in Easter month. But soon, we are going to move on to other things. And it seems that the Easter story is something of the past. Fortunately, each time we come for communion, we are reminded of Christ's death, the price he paid for our sin, his broken body, his shed blood, and that's why Jesus 
said to his disciples that they should do this to remember. And that is good for us. But even that is once in a while we come to communion. I want to suggest to you that the truth and the power of Christ's death, being united with him in his death and his resurrection, being united with him in his resurrection, is a truth and a, a, a very impactful truth that has to be experienced on a daily basis for us to live the Easter impacted life. Easter's transformative impact on our lives should be a daily experience and not just an annual or a monthly celebration. That reality of Christ's resurrection, Christ's death and his resurrection needs to be felt daily in what we do. And that's what gives us the power within to become his masterpiece and to do good, to impact our world, to shed light in the darkness around us. And so if this Easter doesn't seem to be the usual Easter you have known because of what we see around us, because of the death and the, and the, and the, and the sickness, intensive care units are, are choked, doctors are, nurses are, are weary and tired, those who have gone into retirement are being called back because the problem is overwhelming. Yet, we can dig deep into what Christ has done for us. Because what he has done for us will never change. Our circumstances cannot change that. But we do know that knowing that truth, understanding that truth, and knowing it with deep within us, is what will give us the strength and the power. That same power that raised Christ from the dead becomes active in us. And when we are in that state, we know that God is able to use us to do good things. Westside, the message today is that we are God's masterpiece to do good things. Even in the midst of our struggles. Even though we face a lot of adversities, even if the world around us seems to be turning upside down and we seem to have lost control of our lives and we don't know when we are going to get our lives back, even that, you are God's masterpiece. That transformative Easter-impacted life is meant to be lived every day. Not only when we are celebrating Easter, not only when we are having communion. But I want to suggest to you that if you make that message a daily point of reference, daily pondering over Christ's death and his resurrection, then that power that raised Christ from the, from the dead is going to be alive in you. And soon you realize that you are God's masterpiece to do good things, even if everything around seems dark, seems depressive, seems not so good, we can be those beacons of light that shine in the darkness. The true message of Easter is that its truth, 
its impact has to be a daily affair in our lives. Will you live that Easter-impacted life? It is the better way to live. It is the way to live, to make an impact on our world and to be God's kingdom. We are in that kingdom. It's not something we are looking to in the future. It is true that there's a component of it that will be in the future when we will really be in God's kingdom fully. But in this process while we are on earth, we are still in God's kingdom and he wants to do good things through us because we are his masterpiece. Live the Easter impacted life on a daily basis and you will see the victory that Christ has won. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you and praise you for what you have accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. That sinful though we were, you have united us with him in his death. So the penalty of our sin has been paid for. You've united us with him in his resurrection. Therefore, we've been able to conquer death once and for all. And you have seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You've made us your masterpiece to do good things, which you have planned for us to do. And you did this even long before the creation of the world. Lord, may these truths be true, even in the midst of the pain and the fear and the anxiety and the turmoil that we are in. May these truths really impact us that on a daily basis, we will exhibit qualities of this masterpiece story that your word tells us and that we may do good that brings glory and honor to your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.